episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected is brought to you by Bridgeside Medical Clinic, Chesapeake Integrated Behavioral Healthcare, and Edgar Casey's ARE. Now more than ever, we have an opportunity to be a positive force in the world, to help heal the divide, to treat each other and ourselves with respect. But with so many tools out there from meditation to physical training, proper nutrition, therapy, and so many others, we all need a little help navigating all the options. Join us as we share in-depth information, insights, and thought-provoking discussions that will help answer your questions about how to stay calm, cool, and connected during these times. Welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected, your guidebook to peace of mind. Hello, and welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected. I'm your host, Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. Our next guest has an incredibly inspirational story about her experience on September 11th, 2001. Kayla Bergeron worked as the Director of Public Affairs for the Port Authority of New York in New Jersey, the largest transportation agency in the country. And on September 11, 2001, she was at her desk on the 68th floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center when the building was struck by terrorists. Kayla's here to share with us about this horrific experience and how she's used it for good and used it really for mental health advocacy and what she's doing with that platform. So hi, Kayla. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much. This is such an important issue. I am just very grateful for the opportunity. Oh, we're so grateful to have you here. This is such an incredible story that you have and so much trauma wrapped in it. But what is so inspirational to me and to the team at Calm, Cool and Connected is how you've really used it for advocacy purposes. And so we're so grateful and have so much respect for that. Let's jump into you sharing with us, kind of take us to the beginning of that experience and share with us your story of what took place on that day. Okay, thank you. On September 10th, 2001, I was at JFK Airport with my boss, who was executive director of the Port Authority. We were with the New York Times talking about redevelopment plans at the airport. I rode back with him into the city, and uh, he dropped me off, and my last words were him, you know, what am I going to do tonight? Either watch TV, chill, go out, or just go to the gym. Last words were go to the gym. That's the last time I saw him. The next oh. day, I'm sitting at my desk getting ready for a meeting, and uh, all of a sudden, the building lunges forward about 10 feet, but then it comes back. And then out of my window, my beautiful window, view of the Statue of Liberty, it was as if somebody on the 107th floor was emptying out all the files and stuff. Paper was flying left and right. And I thought perhaps a small plane must have veered off course. I mm. called both governor's offices to say something's going on. I'll be in touch. Meanwhile, I tried to reach my boss, New 11, who I'd seen the day before. He was at Windows on the World on the 107th floor. Oh, he had, he had no chance. He had no chance. I found that a few few days later after the search. So... We have our business continuity plan. I sent my team to the Marriott, which was on the plaza of the World Trade Center. I said, set up the phone lines, take our business continuity plan, pencils, everything we needed. And a little while later, I texted him. Those were the Blackberry days. Good. I texted him. I said, okay, is everything set up? It turns out they were only 10 floors below. And I thought something was up at that point because they should have been there at the Marriott. So security guard comes up and says, your life is in danger. Your life is in danger. 
So I walked the floor to make sure no one else was there. And I said, let me go turn off my computer and grab my purse and my briefcase. Again, not knowing. So I get into the, uh, the stairwell. Everything is calm because after the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, we did countless drills. And one of the things that came out of that was we had this reflective tape. So all we had to do was stay on the line as policemen came down and firefighters went up with all their equipment. So, but things are calm, things are calm until we get to, let's see, the 20th floor. I see a friend from our aviation department. Meanwhile, I get a story on my BlackBerry that says terrorists attacked the World Trade Center. Now, I didn't want to cause panic, but I showed my friend. I said, look at this and don't say anything. She looked at it. I looked at her and I'm like, let's get this line moving. Let's get this line moving. So were you trailing with a a group at that point down the stairs? Okay. So there was a whole group of you going down. From all, okay. from all the different floors and different okay. businesses, but primarily the Port Authority, which built the World Trade Center. Okay. Everything is fine until we get to the sixth floor. That's when the South Tower imploded and our building twisted and we were trapped. We were oh, trapped for about 30 minutes. The lights went out. The chiller that keeps the air conditioner cold, all this water came rushing down and uh, so we couldn't see and uh, all these pipes burst with water everywhere and so that's the moment that's the moment you don't know what your fate is but you accepted yeah yes and so as you you are in the stairwell full of people full of water no lights and what is your internal experience at that point what are you going into paralysis? Are you panicking? What What are you feeling at that moment? Well, all along, my job was to deal with the news media and elected officials. So what helped me, the fight or flight, was to stay in the work mode. I had sent people to our police station right outside the Holland Tunnel in New Jersey. So I was setting up the continuity plan. So I that's where I was. So I didn't really consider I was very calm at the moment. Wow. Then all of a sudden, boom, Port Authority police officer appears a floor ahead of us. He said, come up, come up. Now, the last thing we wanted to do was come up because the other building came down. Sure. But there was no other option. Mm-hmm. But we went up, we walked through, we walked through a different offices and a lot of women had taken off the pumps and Wound, wound up walking through shards of glass and there were wires hanging. There was white soot everywhere. Everything had been crushed, so to speak. But we get to the other stairwell. We're going down. There are little groups. We went, they grouped us in like three or four because the water over there was going down so fast. They didn't want anyone to be kind of swept up or pushed down. Until in my group, We're going down, we're going down, and all of a sudden we see white. And so I think that's the sky and we're out of there. But it turns out we were in the lobby of the World Trade Center and everything was white. It was as if there was a massive snowstorm. So all the walls and the ceiling, it was white soot. Oh, wow. So we're still not out. And I'm in a little group of three and we don't see anybody. 
and we don't even see and we don't even see a way out. So people I was with started to scream. I said, don't scream because there's stuff coming down. I said, let's look for footprints, no footprints. So then I said, okay, it's time to scream. And then there was a light. We saw a light and somebody was on a bullhorn and they said, if you see the light, follow the light. So they took us through, we went through a door that was covered in soot and we came out on the side of the World Trade Center Plaza and it looked like war, war. Oh my goodness, just all of the the damage, the damage, the destruction, yes. Yeah, and my pump got caught. They had to help me with my shoe. Um, we still weren't out of danger yet because we, we still weren't on street level. So we walked around and uh, we came to a stairwell, which is actually in the museum. We call it the Freedom Stairwell. Uh, thir- 30 tons of concrete. That really saved our life. That's what got us to safety. And ironically, it was at Veezy and Church Street. Church Street. Wow. So we get, we're down, we're breathing. And all of a sudden, the police officer says, run. Run. We spent 45 minutes in the stairwell, walking down 68 flights of stairs. So I turned around. And here comes the tower imploding with black everywhere, engulfing lower Manhattan. So I ran as fast as I could, 16 blocks in my pumps. I was just going to ask if you took them off at that point. You still had them on. No way. That's the fastest I've ever run in my life. And when when the cloud came, I dove under a car. Dove under a car. Many people did that. When it cleared, I got up and was trying to think of what is the next thing to do. So I texted my staff and the senior staff. I said, we're going to New Jersey to our police headquarters just on the other side of the Howland Tunnel. I waved down Port Authority police because the Howland Tunnel was another Port Authority facility. So he drove us to the police headquarters and I'm looking, I'm looking for the leadership of the police. I'm looking for the executive director and the senior staff. And I said, where is Fred Marone, the superintendent of the police? I went down the rank and there was silence. As it turned out, there was a conference for the police department and they were on one of the floors and they tried to go up to the 107th floor and rescue our executive director. They were all lost. Did not survive that. 33. And so the CEO, Ernesto Butcher, gets there and he is just covered in soot. He was at the Marriott where I sent people and the guilt of sending staff there and having the the roof come down. I'm still dealing with that because I sent them to their death. But I was following the procedure from the last time. Absolutely. So he said, Kill, I need your help. Now I'm trying to set up communication for the world. Obviously the website was gone, trying to come up with a plan. And he says, Kayla, the human resources people hadn't gotten there. He said, we need to find out who's dead and who's alive, which was a daunting task. And so I called a friend. I didn't know if she was alive or not. 
Turns out she was on the last train from New Jersey to New York that had been stopped. So I called her, Norma, Norma, Kayla, Kayla. I said, I need your help. She comes in and they set up an Excel spreadsheet. And we set up a vanilla website for Port Authority employees needing to know what to report, call here. And every time they call in, clap, clap, clap. Then we set up another phone number for families who hadn't heard from their loved ones. So that was a that was a tough task. Basically, I called both governor's offices. I said, I'm going to need public information officers probably for three or four months. They sent them over. Basically, what we did for months is to work around the clock. We went from rescue to recovery. I went to over 30 funerals to the 9-11 commission hearings, which was rough. Families who had lost their loved ones told us, Port Authority, you killed my son. You killed my daughter. You should be lucky to be alive. Oh, my goodness. So the trauma that is so wrapped up in this event is so complex for you. I mean, it's so complex for anyone who went through this experience, of course. But you have an extremely different role than a lot of people who went through this experience. Tell me about some of that from a trauma perspective, really from a post-traumatic stress disorder perspective. How quickly did those symptoms kick in for you and how quickly did you seek help? Tell me about how that kind of, and it sounds like you were in so much of a fight or flight response and you were in so much of a survival mode and I just have to help everyone that I wonder if that kind of delayed the onset of some of these symptoms. Can you tell us about that? Perhaps I just kept working, 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 because then we had to go into the rebuilding. And that was complex because there were so many opinions. Build the towers, don't build the towers. So really for me, I left the Port Authority in 2006, not because of 9-11, but I'd been offered an incredible job in Florida to work for an agency that restores the Everglades. That was a wonderful job. Oh, yes, I'm sure. Uh, Quite the relief after all of that. So I'm having the job, another dream job. Then the economy wanes, the housing bust, and I'm laid off along with 179 colleagues. So what happened was I didn't intentionally, but when I had the downtime, I started to drink. And I, you know, I wasn't cognizant. I was living alone. I had friends. I would go out, but I had DUI. And uh, so I went through the program. Meanwhile, my mom is diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. She's in Georgia. My brother, who is a Katrina survivor, died of a heart attack at 45 years old. So there was a lot going on. But even though I went through the DUI process, I didn't put two and two together. And I'm angry at myself because PTSD, when we think about it, we think or I think about it, I think about the veterans. I wasn't a veteran. I think of the first responder. I didn't fit in that category. And I wasn't a victim of domestic violence. So it didn't occur to me. And the stuff you see on TV, you know, you have a little bubble with memories and stuff like that. It didn't look like that. So fast forward a few years later, after my mom dies, I come to Georgia to help my dad and DUI number two. So I come into a little, a little program in a little county called the Forsyth County Accountability Court. And what was interesting and unusual is they have a treatment component. 
In other words, it's not jail and it's just not drug screens. It was, I had a dual diagnosis program and that's really where I got the diagnosis, which was life-saving. But again, I wish, I wish, I wish I knew earlier. I mean, because 17 years later, I don't know if I could have done anything sooner. You know, I keep searching my mind, searching my mind, and I know I can't go back. It's about going forward and and, and managing the PTSD and the anxiety and recovery from substance abuse. Yes, yes. And that's exactly, I mean, what you're describing, that is exactly what I was thinking in terms of you kept yourself so busy that it was it was hard to stop and really feel what was going on, acknowledge what was going on, which is so common with post-traumatic stress disorder or a lot of mental illness. It's so easy to try to numb that out, to try to distract from it. And so instead of getting treatment, we just keep scrambling to try to get it to go away without the proper help. And so it sounds like it was years before you really received the help that you needed. Tell me, how has that influenced? You are now a mental health advocate and working really to end the stigma around mental health. How has your experience influenced your advocacy work? Well, let me just say this. One of the reasons I speak out is because I was a civilian on September 11. You had the first responders, you had the families of the loved ones, and then you had people like me who were left in the shadows. And thank God I got help. But there are hundreds of people walking around with mental health and substance abuse problems. And the, the World Trade Center, the Congress, has failed these folks. People think that, you know, we all got money and stuff and that's not what it's about, but that's not true. And so that's what I worry about. Actually here in Georgia, I met two people right around in this area. One was a police officer. He has PTSD, but he's a tough guy. He's a cop. But I met another guy recently and he tells, he was on the 20th floor of the South Tower. You could see the look in his eyes. And he said, oh, my, my experience was real different than yours. I said, no, it wasn't. And I said, well, how are you dealing with it? His answer was, I started Toys for Tots to help the community. Yeah. So folks like that are just everywhere and there's no help for them. So thank That's- goodness for me, for the resources. And, and this small accountability court is really what saved my life. Wow, that is so amazing. I, again, have so much respect for the way that you're using this experience to advocate and to help these other individuals who, as you're describing, maybe don't even have awareness around these post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. And that is so incredible that you are putting in those efforts to help normalize, bring relatability to it, and really encouraging them to get help. Kayla, we really appreciate you being here today, taking the time to speak with us. It's really been an honor speaking with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for the forum. We got to end the stigma. I absolutely agree. Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, and please rate and subscribe to our podcast so that others can discover our content as well. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected.